You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Question for you to ponder. You don't have to answer out loud. Just think about it. Have you ever thought about what it is you want to be remembered for? Maybe you've asked it different ways. Uh, maybe you're, you've asked it, when I'm gone, what do I want people to say about me? What do I want people to know and remember about me? I think it's important that we think about this question. Psalms 90 verse, Psalm 90 verse 12 says to teach us to number our days so that we may gain wisdom. And I think part of that process is living with the end in mind and processing, hey, what is it do I want to be remembered for? I work for, give you a little insight into my own life, I work for uh, the McKesson Corporation and we're a huge company that has all these business units and all these different divisions and McKesson is really great about wanting to develop you personally and professionally in your career. And so they spend time I've, over the course of my years with McKesson, which I got to celebrate 25 years with them this past April. Um, that's not, that's not worthy of clapping. It's work. <laughs> I'm ready to retire. <laughs> uh, I have, um, where was I going? Yeah, I've had all, I've, I've got to have great leadership conversations with some people in leadership positions within our company. And the one question they always ask me is, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? And, and really like for, for a bunch of time, for a long time, I would, I don't know. I really don't know. And it wasn't until I really started pondering this, this question about what do I want to be known for at the end of my life was I able to adequately answer what it is I ultimately wanted to do. So I started thinking about things like, man, what do I want my kids to say about me at my funeral? What do I want my wife when she's 90? And look, she's going to, she's got these Douglas jeans, the Stover jeans in her, and she's going to live till she's a hundred. Cause all the ladies do, it seems like in her family. So what is it going to be like when she's 95 and I'm dead and gone and she's sitting on a rocker? What are the things I want her to be thinking about in our life? Well, what, what kind of things do I want her to say about me? Thoughts I want her to have. And I got some answers. I've pondered this enough. That I've, think I've got some, some answers that I want to happen. What I want people, what I want my kids. So if I think about my wife, she's sitting on the rocker at 95 years old and I'm gone. Here's some things I would love for her to say about me. Luke loved Jesus above everything else. And he was the most important person in his life. Luke wasn't the perfect husband to me. But there was no question that Luke loved me and our life together. Luke was always putting my needs before his. 
And lastly, I hope she would be able to say, being married to Luke was fun. We had one heck of a ride together, and I'd do it all over again. For my children, if they get to speak at my funeral, here's some things I want them to be able to say. The order of my dad's loves were Jesus, my mom, and then us. And my dad wasn't perfect. And he failed me a lot, but he was quick to admit it and to seek my forgiveness. I wanted to be able to say that my dad was glad that I was his child and he enjoyed us so much. And I would love him to be able to say, my dad was patient and tender towards us and always had a wise word. So if you, if I was to host my own website, lukemore.com, and in the about me sec tab up here in the top right corner, you clicked on it, that's what I would want to pop up. So our, we're going to go to Matthew 11, and I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's giving us a glimpse. He's telling us when I'm gone, this is what I want to be known for. Of all the things, that I do and say, this is what I want to be known for the most. So Matthew 11, I'm going to read verses 28 and 29. And Jesus says to his hearers, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And we're going to camp out on this next little section here. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Charles Spurgeon noted that in all four Gospels, of all 80-something chapters, that I think it's 89 chapters that are written about Jesus, this is the only place where Jesus says, this is what I'm like. This is who I am. So, if you think about that, this is significant because when you think about it, in all four Gospels, you have the account of his death and his resurrection. You have accounts of rejections and objections of Jesus and his responses. You have record of his travels, his miracles, how he prayed, the things he did. You have a couple of accounts of his birth, but it's in this one section, this one passage, in this one phrase where Jesus says, this is who I am. He opens the curtain to his heart. He pulls back anything and says, you want to know what I'm like? You want to know what I'm like? I am gentle and lowly in heart. It's his very own disposition. He can not not be gentle and lowly. This is his response to any circumstance. It's his response to any situation. 
And what's even crazier is some of the other things that he could have said. He could have said, I am holy and exalted in heart. Or I am generous and joyful in heart. True things. But when Jesus peels back the curtain and he says, you want to know what I'm like. And he's getting ready to show us and tell us what he's like. He uses two really unique words. And he says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Before we define what that means, that gentle and lowly, I want to take a minute and define what heart means. He is gentle and lowly in heart. Um, when the Old Te- whether you read in the Old Testament or you read in the New Testament, when the Bible's referring to our heart, it's not like the organ pumping your blood, nor is it referring to like the seat of your emotions. You know, I'm going to follow my heart, do what your heart says, whatever your heart feels. It's, it's, it's way more than just that. It goes way deeper than just talking about feelings. When the Bible is referring to your heart, it's literally referring to your entire being. It's what makes you, you. In fact, Proverbs 4.23 says, from the heart flows the wellspring of life. So we're talking about the real you. The way you act, the things you believe, the things you enjoy, the things you don't enjoy, what you like, what you don't like, what gets you out of bed in the morning, what you dream about when you're going to sleep, what makes you happy, what makes you sad. It's your motivation headquarters. It's what drives you. It's what defines you. It is Literally the center of everything you are. So when the Bible refers to the heart, it is going deep into you. It's everything about you. A lot of my thoughts this morning come from this book called Gentle and Lowly from Dane Ortland, And I've got a few quotes from him. One, he says, when Jesus tells us what animates him most deeply, what is most true of him, when he exposes the innermost recesses of his being, what we find there is gentle and lowly. So if Jesus hosted his own website and you clicked on the about me box up here in the top right corner, there are two words that are going to come up, gentle and lowly. Why is it important now that we go and spend the rest of our time defining gentle and lowly? Why do we think we need to know about this and get this right? Because I would argue, well, let me, let's, let's ask this question. When you think of Jesus, what do you think of? Just think about that for a second. When you think of Jesus, what do you think? Is, is gentle and lowly, let's be honest, is gentle and lowly the first thing that comes to your mind? It doesn't to mine. 
Maybe you think of some, when you think of Jesus, you think of someone that's high and holy, exalted. Those are, those things are true. I'm not saying, don't hear what I'm not saying. Maybe you think because he is so high and holy, he's unapproachable. Or maybe he's this type of superhuman. I know my story is filled with understanding of Jesus that is high and holy and super reverent. And so because I'm a sinner and because I, uh, because of my sin, I must maintain this reverent posture to come to him. To speak with him, to interact with him has to be in this um, almost ritualistic, reverent type of of interaction with him. That's where my mind goes when I think of Jesus. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're all inclined to believe um, in a Jesus that our stories help shape, that our history, that our experiences, the things that maybe we were taught, all those things help shape the story, shape this image of who Jesus is. And again, what Dane Orland says is, we project onto Jesus our skewed instincts. So for me, it was Jesus is high, holy. You only approach him in a reverent posture and you got to be cleaned up to get to him. And Dane would continually say, without realizing what we are doing, we are, we quietly assume that one so high and exalted has difficulty drawing near to the despicable and unclean. And that's my story. That, that's the Jesus that I default to. Sure, Jesus comes close to us, we agree, but he holds his nose. When he gets near to us because of our stench of sin. But that is not all what Jesus is revealing to us in Matthew 11. Again, when Jesus pulls back the curtain and says, you want to know what I'm like? I'm gentle and lowly in heart. So what does he mean by being gentle and lowly? The Greek word for gentle occurs... Um, Three other, three other times in the New Testament. So you see it in Matthew 5, 5, where Jesus is at the, ser- he's doing this, this is the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching, and in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 5, he says, the meek shall inherit the earth. So the same Greek word used as meek is the same Greek word as gentle here in Matthew 20, uh, Matthew 11. Also, you see it in Matthew 21, verse 5. There's a pro, there's the prophecy of, of Jesus coming. And it says that the King Jesus, he's coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. So you have gentle, you have meek, you have humble. And lastly, in 1 Peter 3, 4, Peter is encouraging wives to be adorned or to be clothed with the imperishable beauty of a gentle, and quiet spirit. So four times this word occurs in the Bible, in the New Testament, and it's used as meek, it's used as humble, and it's used as gentle. 
And this has to do, so what Jesus is driving home here is this has to do how he relates to us, to you and I, how he responds and, and deals, in other words, with us as his children. It's as if Jesus is saying, guys, I am not trigger happy. I do not respond harshly. I am not overbearing on you or oppressive on you. I'm not pointing my finger at you in disgust or shame. I'm not tapping my foot, crossing my arms, waiting impatiently for you to get it together. I am not easily exasperated or exhausted by you. Rather, Jesus says, I'm gentle, I'm tender, I'm easy to be with. Easy to be with. I'm the most understanding person in the universe. My natural position towards you is not my arms folded, but my arms open to you. I have to think, guys, when people were with Jesus, they never felt more loved and more listened to and more cared for than when they were in his presence. That's what he means by being gentle. His natural posture and position, the way he deals and interacts and treats us is with tenderness. And I love that line, easy to be with. He is easy to be with. He also says that he's lowly. And these two words, gentle and lowly, they kind of overlap each other. They're, they're trying to convey one big truth, one big reality about Jesus' heart. And this word lowly can also be translated as humble. For example... The same word is found in James 4, 6, where the writer, where James writes, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And this humility isn't a virtue. This isn't like a fruit that's being produced out of you. This is a state of being. This is a, a reality about who you are. So to drive that point home further, about lowliness and this humble estate of life, Paul uses the same word in Romans twelve sixteen when he gives instructions to the Roman church. He says, not to be haughty, but to associate with the lowly, referring to the socially outcast people, the unimpressive people. The people who are not the honored guest are not the life of the party, but rather the people that when they enter the party, the host cringes at. The unavoidable people in our society. This is who Jesus is referring to. And it's exactly the type of person that Jesus was. In Isaiah 53, the prophet writes, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. 
Leon Morris, in his commentary on this passage, he says that it's not that he pretended to be humble or make a show of being lowly. So it's not, Jesus wasn't trying to set an example for us here. He wasn't trying to show us what it means to be humble and lowly. He really was lowly. And that was at the very center of all that he was. So when Jesus says that he is lowly, what he's saying to us, again, this goes back to how he interacts with us and how he treats us, how he, uh, his disposition towards us, what he is saying to us is, I am totally available to you. I can never be unavailable to you. I am always accessible to you. I am not out of your league. I am not so high and holy that I'm unapproachable. I'm not so high and holy that I'm out of your league. Leave me alone. I am very approachable. And I stand ready to listen and to bear with you. Quoting Dane Ortland again. Y'all got to get this book, guys. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. So hear me there. So look, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, If you're asleep, wake up. If you've zoned out, tune in. If you're watching, turn the volume up. This is what I want you to take away. The most important thing I want you to take away. When Jesus says that he is gentle and lowly in heart. When you come to Jesus, he will never be unapproachable. He will always be accessible when you come to him. He will never have his back turned towards you when you come to him. Jesus always stands ready with his arms open. And because he is so gentle, when you come to him, he will never be shaking his head or waving his finger at you in disgust. He will always meet you with tenderness. He will always be open And welcoming and understanding and accommodating to you. He will always be those things. He can not not be that. Because he is gentle and lowly in heart. So if you were to, if someone was to ask you, what is Jesus like? Tell me one thing about Jesus. You would be honoring Jesus if you said, he's gentle and lowly. If you asked Jesus, what are you like, Jesus? And according with what he says, he would answer, I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart. Everything about me said, about me is gentle and lowly. It's at the center, at the core of my being. I cannot not be gentle and lowly to you. So what do we do 
with this gentle and lowly Jesus? How do we come to know his gentleness and his lowliness? How do we come to experience, to feel, to know his tenderness towards us? Well, he gives us that answer in verse 28 when he first says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Now this, I can envision this being a little bit of a, uh, whoa, whoa, Jesus type of moment if you were, if you heard it live. So let's go back to what's this first century Palestine. Let's think about what, what's going on here. We're standing there. We hear Jesus say that. And we kind of have, if, if, if we look at the crowds, we kind of have three groups of people. All right, we have these Pharisees over here who we would all consider those are the super Christian guys. They're the ones that know the Bible front and back. And not only do they know the Bible so much, they've gone out of their way to add a whole lot more to it. <laughs> so they've got the books of the law, the Torah, the uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And in that is God's law for them. And they agree with that, but they've ratcheted it up even more. And they put some really dumb stuff in there. Just stuff like not spitting on the Sabbath because it stirs up dust that's considered work. You know, just really weird things. And society views them as those are the ones that are blessed by God. Those are the ones that God loves because they're so obedient to the law of God. All right, then you got this second group of people. It's the ones who look at the Pharisees and say, oh my goodness, I've got to try harder and be better. I've got to do more. I'm not doing enough. If I want God's love, if I want God's approval, if I want to be blessed by God, I've got to go be like them. And so what do they do? As we just sang earlier, they work their fingers to the bone trying to earn God's love and his favor and his approval. Then you have this third group of people that would have been in the crowd. And these are what we would consider the sinners. These are the people who there's no hope for. In fact, God's curse is probably on their life. And the Pharisees wished they were dead. And we see an example of that in John 8. When the woman is caught in adultery by the Pharisees. And what do the Pharisees get ready to do? They're about to stone her. Get rid of her. She's cursed by God. She's a sinner. There's no hope for her. So you have the ultra-religious you ha- that are, then you have the ones that realize I'm not good enough, so I'm going to work my fingers to the bone. And then you have the ones that are just whatever. I'm a sinner. There's no hope for me. I'm cursed by God. That's the crowd that hears this. And that's not unlike the crowd that where we find ourselves. There are some of us who are working our fingers to the bone, trying to earn God's love, God's favor, God's approval. And we say things like, 
man, if God, if you'll just do this for me, I'll never do this again. Or, or we, we overserve ourselves to the point of exhaustion. We do all the churchy things, all the religious things. Outside of, on the outside, we look like incredible Christians and followers of Jesus, but internally there's a war that is going on in our hearts because we see ourselves as, as not good enough, so we have to work ourselves into being good enough. Always trying to do more to earn God's approval. Then there may be some of you that fall into the, the that sinner type of category that says there's no amount of good that can ever right my wrongs. That like you don't know I am not approachable to Jesus because of my past. I've done horrendous things. There is no way Jesus would look on me with tenderness. Whatever camp you fall into, whether you find yourself striving and weighted down with the burden of earning God's love or approval, or you find yourself with the burden of past sin and failure, you are 100% qualified to experience the gentleness and the lowliness of Jesus when you come to him. There are no hoops you have to go through. No payment required by you. No amount of good work to be done. You do not need to unburden yourself. Clean yourself up. Get it together. Collect yourself. In fact, it's your burden that qualifies you to go to Jesus and experience and to know that gentle and lowliness of a Savior. And when you come to Him... You will experience that gentleness and lowliness that says in verse 28, I will give you rest. He says in 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you, here it is again, you will find rest for your souls. And in verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we come to Jesus with the burden of either trying to perform for him or the burden of just, I am a unbelievably poor, horrible sinner that not deserving of your grace. You experience his gentleness, his tenderness, and your burden now is made light because he is easy to be with. And why is his burden light for us? Because he has carried the heaviness of our sin. He's carried already the heaviness of our performance for God. He's done all of that for us. He was the one that carried the perf- the burden of perfect obedience to God the Father. He was the one that carried all the burden of our sin. He is the one that when he laid on was nailed to the cross, all of that burden... All of that heaviness was laid onto him. So now we can experience the light burden he has for us and the rest that he has for us. I'm going to close 
with a quote. It's a lengthy quote. At the end of Dane Ortland's book, this is what he writes. God didn't meet us halfway. He refused to hold back, cautious assessing our worth. That's not his heart. He and his son took the initiative on terms of grace and grace alone in defiance of what we deserved when we, despite our smiles and civility, civility, were running from God as fast as we could, building our own kingdoms and loving our own glory, lapping up the fraudulent pleasures of the world, repulsed by the beauty of God and shutting up our ears at his calls to come home. It was then, in the hollowed out horror of that revolting existence, that the Prince of Heaven bade his adorning angels farewell. It was then that he put himself into the murderous hands of these very rebels in a divine strategy planned from eternity past to rinse muddy sinners clean and hug us into his own heart despite our squirmy attempt to get free. And scrub ourselves clean on our own. Christ went down into death. A voluntary endurance of unutterable anguish while we applauded. We couldn't have cared less. We were weak. Sinners. Enemies. In the middle of that life that we live, we're living, or have lived, or am currently living, Jesus Christ carried that burden for us on the cross. So that you and I can experience and know the gentleness and the lowliness that his heart is made of.